It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And the Orioles have won the game. They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy. They're jumping on each other. One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. And welcome to it. And right now we're enjoying the rebroadcast of the uh, Orioles and Phillies 1983 World Series Game 5, the clincher for the Orioles. And uh, we have a chance to talk to Scotty McGregor coming up, who, of course, pitched that clinching game in 1983. And, Jeff, you're watching the broadcast, as I am. Uh, What stands out to you reliving this great moment in Orioles history? Well, I think a couple of things and maybe, you know, right off the top, when when you hear the, the broadcasters come in, you hear the voice of Al Michaels, you hear Howard Cosell, who it's, it's pretty easy to distinguish. And then you heard the voice of Earl Weaver, who, of course, in 1982, managed his final game, the last game of the year, where it was kind of do or die against the Milwaukee Brewers in one of the most you know, famous games in Orioles history. Uh, and to hear him be a part of that broadcast um, and be able to watch the team, which he shepherded for so long. And now they're on the brink of, of winning their World Series. And it is so bizarre to have that if you were a player on that team or if you're an Orioles fan, if you're a Baltimorean, and you here's Earl Weaver, you know, a future Hall of Fame manager, and he is a big part of the building of this ball club. They get so close to 82, uh, so close, obviously, for several years. Uh, and then to have him now be in the broadcast booth, with two legends themselves, with Al Michaels and Howard Cosell, uh, just a very strange and odd situation. But obviously, it was a great ball club uh, that won 94 games in 82, uh, contending pretty much every year at that point, went to the World Series in 79. And then this game, of course, they saw it through, and they saw it through behind a complete game shutout from Orioles Hall of Famer and Orioles legend, Scotty McGregor. And McGregor was so good when he pitched in the postseason. I think his his career ERA in postseason games is something like 1.69 or something along those, along those lines. He'd thrown really well in the World Series against the Pirates just a couple years prior to that. He was the, the, the ultimate big game pitcher for the Orioles. And, and probably when you think about, you know, big game players in Orioles history, McGregor is certainly at the top of the list for how – he pitched before that, and you remember, he threw the ball really well earlier on in this series. He just happened to be going up against a guy that won the Cy Young Award uh, for the Phillies that year. And then you also have him – I mean, he gives up two solo home runs in the game, throws the ball pretty well. The Orioles just don't get much in the way of run support. They got to run early, but, but that was about it. And so it was his opportunity to bounce back against a really, really good Phillies lineup that had all-stars, that had Hall of Fame caliber players in it. And he got the job done in a major way and was able to, to close it out in Philadelphia and, and finally give the Orioles uh, an opportunity to, to win that World Series um, after they had come so close just a couple years before. 
It's time for some more magic moments. And let's get to it right now and talk about the 1983 World Series and the world champion Baltimore Orioles with uh, one of their best pitchers ever and a man who spent every day of his 13-year big league career with the Baltimore Orioles, Scotty McGregor, who pitched the game winner in that 83 World Series Game 5 against the Philadelphia Phillies, joins us now. And, Scotty, thank you so much for being with us. I hope you and your family are well. Yeah, we're doing great. We're enjoying the time together. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the offseason, you know. We get up in the morning and read the newspaper and hang out. So don't really need to go anywhere. So hopefully the virus will leave us alone. Let's all hope for the best. But uh, let's get into it. Uh, you pitched two games in that 1983 World Series, including the clincher, game five, uh, complete game shutout. Uh, you were spectacular in both of your starts in that World Series. But take us through game five, a second chance against the Phillies. Well, yeah. Uh, first and foremost, you know, all of a sudden we're deja vu of 79. We're up three games to one. And uh, you could have heard a pin drop after we won that third game and said, okay, boys. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was nice to have a three-run, you know, three-to-one three, three to one lead going out there. But there was 66,000 people there. And we knew that it was the old big red machine when you're pitching against all the old, you know, Pete Rose and Perez and Morgan. And, uh, it was it was pretty impressive. But Eddie showed up early, which really made that game a little bit easier. You know, him and Dempsey, you know, and they gave me five runs early. And, and they just made it just throw the ball over the plate and, I, you know, I, I look at the stats and I'm watching the thing that's on the game. And if I'd have known before the game that I was 14 and one on the road and seven and zero on Astro Turf, I would have probably kept my hat. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw that, I go, holy cow, this was a shoe in, you know, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was just, you know, an amazing thing to have the teammates that we had there to even get to two world series and have a chance to redeem yourself. It was pretty pretty uh, special to be able to have that chance to do it. I was reading in the book that Dan Connolly wrote about the Orioles that when you came back into the dugout and Ken Singleton said this, uh, that you basically said, it's over, guys. Like, we're going to win this game and whatever. How did you feel coming out of the bullpen uh, that day when you, when you went out onto the – before you went out onto the field? Oh, I felt great. I was, you know, it was a great year. I threw the ball well all year, and I felt strong. And uh, no, I, 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 I was throwing the ball real well. I lost the two Cy Young Award winners, you know, uh, Lamar Hoyt and John Denny, and let Boddicker become the hero, punching out about a hundred guys in two games. <laughs> and uh, you know, we were all pitching well, and uh, we had momentum on our side, and. All I wanted to do was just get out there and get the game started. Once you get the game started and you're pitching, you things can uh, just get back to normal. You think about that starting rotation for a few years, but looking specifically at 83, everyone always talk about some of those Orioles rotations from the 60s and throughout the 70s and, of course, 420 game winners. But McGregor, Boddicker, Flanagan, Storm Davis had a great year, Palmer in and out. Yeah. Uh, that was a spectacular rotation. Yeah, I'll never forget Flanny with his big old brace on his knee because he got off to what six and zero and then blew his patella uh, out on a pitch and then missed a lot of the year. And then Bodiker, what could you say about Bod that year? Man, he comes up and just dazzled the whole year. And 
he did a great job. So yeah, and Storm was always just the heir apparent. And so uh, it was, it was, you know, you, you feed off of that, you know, it's friendly competition, you know, and uh, I remember Palmer, I mean, we were out in Oakland one year, me and Flanny and Palmer pitched three game series. Mike and I both sh threw shutouts and Palmer gave up a run. So after the game, I said, Flanny, come here. And we went and stood behind him. And I said, hey, Flanny, who gave up a run in that game? <laughs> he turned around and screamed at us. He was so mad. <laughs> what were you able to take from some other people in that, that group of pitchers that you had? And what were some things that you maybe felt like you were able to pass along to them, which helped elevate their games? Well, yeah, Vodiker came up and, you know, and he was always listening to and Storm. Palmer would uh, – Program Stormy when he would go out there, to, you know, get the whole game set up for him. And Bod was just like absorbing everything, Flanny and I. Because when, when I came up, you know, like you had said, in 71, they had four 20 game winners. And now all of a sudden at 76, and as Palmer left with McGregor, Flanagan, Dennis Martinez, like, who are these people, you know? And I'll, I'll never forget, we didn't have the video, we didn't have all the pitch track and all that stuff then, but we had Palmer. And he would sit there and just tell us, watch the game, teach us how to manage a game, teach us how to watch a game, see what guys are doing, notice what they're doing in counts. And, and if we did something that we had talked about, and he told me one time not to, throw a, not to throw a curveball to a strike to a certain hitter with two strikes, and I did give up a hit. He met me on the top step and chewed me out. And he just said, didn't we talk about that? I said, dang, these guys are serious. I mean, so I came from the Yankees, and they were struggling at that point. And when I came over to the Orioles, the first spring training, the atmosphere with Earl running the PFPs and the, and the stuff and the way we – the attentiveness to the game, I said, man, this is a whole different level. It was really something else. So it was – Scott, I want to ask you about the end of the 82 season, which is famous, of course, having to beat Milwaukee four times in four days to get in. That Orioles club was great. I mean, 94 wins. You, you only improved by four games the next year, which is a lot when you're, when you're that number of wins. But in that final game of 82 at Memorial Stadium, you know, one of the most famous moments in Baltimore sports history. No one leaves at 33rd Street cheering for Earl, cheering for the effort of the club. But what was the tone in the clubhouse after that game and what was ahead for the team? You didn't really know about what was going to happen, I guess, next uh, in the dugout. But knowing the team would be back and what could be the next year. Well, that, that whole setup, that whole team was still out, out for revenge for 79, you know. So we just said, okay, guys, we're just going to have to do it again next year. So, you know, we were on a, on a mission, and it was a lot of fun to be a part of that group, even though at the end of 83, at, at, at all-star break, I was like leading the league in wins and innings pitched, and then I ended up with tendonitis in the front top and back the whole second half I was getting xylocaine shots and sound treatment the whole second half and my I, Boddicker would be warming up next to me in a game you know because I never knew if my arm was going to survive so I, I ended up pitching in the double hitter that day and gave up runs and Sammy Stewart came in and bailed me out but uh, it, it was you know it was amazing that's one thing about the World Series in the whole playoffs we only used three guys Tippy, Sammy Stewart, and Palmer got into a game. You know, so I mean, those guys, you know, it was it was pretty incredible. What it, did you take anything away from pitching in that World Series in '79? Because you threw really well in in those games. Did that help at all going into that '83 World Series against the Phillies? Oh yeah, I mean, really, uh, 
79, I threw the shutout in, in my first playoff game. Out in that, you know, and that just that really kind of took off. And then complete game in game three and then eight innings in game seven. So I only missed one inning. And uh, so once you do that, you know, you're, you're, you, can, you can do it. You can handle the situation. So, yeah, you take a lot away from that. You take a lot of confidence and, and – uh, and held on to it for a while until the end, and it all fell apart. But that's just 2,000 innings. <laughs> that's a weird thing about the 83 World Series, and I know you're enjoying the game right now. On the ABC broadcast, of course, in the booth is Al Michaels, Howard Cosell, and Earl Weaver. Earl. <laughs> a guy who you played for for so many years. Did you have to interact with Earl for, you know, pre-game television production? Did you have to talk to your former skipper before and after these games? Uh, I think it was more uh, Howard uh, and uh, Al. Earl, you know, Earl was there. We said hi, but no, I didn't have to. I didn't want to look at that perm anyway. <laughs> had the big perm out there. So come on, Earl. Yeah, he had to, you know, he said some nice things, but I'm sure he was sitting up there saying, I built that team. I built that team. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. But, yeah. What did you take away from from Earl and how he helped you pitch? Because I know that the way that he worked with you on on slowing your curveball up a little bit to get you three pitches, you know, one in the 60s, one in the 70s, and then yep. another pitch in the 80s. But what other things did you learn from Earl that made you a better pitcher? That if you win, he'll leave you alone. <laughs> I didn't have any problems with him. I pitched really well. So he only yelled at me one time. We were in, we were in Cleveland in all the years when we were – winning all the time and every time you go in there to that mausoleum you know it was huge the old you know brown stadium and eighty thousand seats and ten ten thousand people in there and they'd kick our ass he'd get so pissed because we just kind of went down to their level so i i had to start a game there and i walked the first two and gave up the three-run home run to Thornton. He came running out and just screamed at me <laughs> and said every kind of thing he hated losing you know and so uh that was the only time we ever had any issues. I mean, the you know the thing is, people say, "Well, how'd you get that funky delivery?" Well, he'd seen Quayar and McNally, and he realized after watching me for a while that I needed that third pitch to slow down to have a change of speeds. And so I had to come out throw BP that one day, and he said, uh, "I need you to throw your curveball in the sixties. That's how I ended up with the funky motion. And the only way I could slow down is I had to stop, hesitate, and then flip it in there." And it gave me the change of speeds that I needed, and then the changeup came around. And so Earl was significant in that. You know, he was he saw something that I needed to do and helped me incorporate it. As far as the position players who made up that 83 club, obviously uh, everyone's going to talk about the great pitching, and then you have two Hall of Famers in, in Cal and Eddie. But the parts surrounding those guys, right. and you see a Dempsey step up in the 83 World Series, but the – the Dan Fords and the Al Bumries and the Rich Dowers and the Todd Cruises. Tell us about the group uh, that made up that ball club. That group, that, that, that was such a uh, chemistry team, you know. Uh, I, I'll never forget spring training the next year. I'm in the, the old, my, you know, Bobby Maduro clubhouse there in Miami, dodging bullets, you know. <laughs> uh, and and, and Lowenstein's across the thing from me. I looked at it and I said, Lolo, can you – can you believe these guys are the world champs? He just laughed. He goes, no way. This is terrible. You know, there's no way. You know, I know Eddie and Cal, we lost Singy in the, you know, with the DH in 79, we lost Lady May, you know, but uh, it was just chemistry. Dower, 
was always great. You know, AAA, I got traded over in 76. He was MVP in the International League, hit like 360 or whatever. Gets called up, goes 0 for 44. And Earl calls him in, says, hey, you're struggling. He goes, ah, coach, don't worry about it. I'll be all right. And that was just Richie. Now, Richie was always the character, always was the guy that if, if things were going bad, he'd come in and say, 10 more years of this stuff, guys, and I'm quitting, you know. And he keeps everything loose. And, Made all the plays, nothing fancy. Didn't have a Johnson scope arm by any means, you know, but made all the plays. And TC, Todd Cruz, he just – he had a great glove and a strong arm. Hit a couple home runs in the first game we got him in Detroit, you know. And so, every, you know, back then, you know, it's amazing. When you got a really good team, you know, take the Patriots. The Patriots would – all that, anybody that showed up there became a superstar, you know. It's osmosis, you know, and everybody, Steve Stone, he was getting killed everywhere else, comes over here, and he wins 24 games or 25, he's Cy Young. There was just, there was such an atmosphere of success that anybody that showed up, you know, Dan Ford did great for us, uh, Tito Landrum, greatest home run ever, because I would have had to face Lamar Hoyt again the next day, and we might not be having this conversation. <laughs> You know, it was it was just a magical time, really. In particular, your relationship with with Dempsey and just what he meant to the team in that in that series and and how he went about. It. I mean, he was the one that caught you in, in that final game, and you, you give up only five hits. I mean, to be able to to work with him and to watch the series that that he had, especially given your two's relationship. I mean, how special was it for you? to see how well he performed on that stage. Well, we've been together a long time. We both got traded over from the Yankees together. You know, and I think, I think I won 138 games. He must have caught at least 100 of them, you know. So we 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 spent a lot of time together, you know. So uh, and even to this day, you know, we still talk about stuff. We still tease each other. We still hug each other. We still want to know how the kids are doing, you know. So it was a very, very special time, and he was great. I mean, he was – he, you know, he gets a knock sometimes. We'd tease him that he didn't know how to call a game. But I tell you what, he knew what we had to do. And uh, the proof's in the pudding. Heck, he went out and caught Oral Hirschheiser. He caught all kinds of guys and win the World Series. But what a defensive catcher. You had no fear of bouncing a ball. He would eat it and throw people out. If you were struggling, I remember times time, because I didn't throw hard, but he'd get, he'd get mad at me and he'd fire a rocket back at me. I go, dang, you're throwing harder than me from your knees back there. He goes, come on! He'd be screaming, you know. So, all right, all right. So he, he, was, he was crazy, but, uh, you know, it, that's what made him who he is. The uh, core group of this team, you talked about revenge in 79 uh, for the uh, Pirates World Series and, and Game 7, but – just the building, and it's been talked about, it's been written about, but looking back at it, Scotty, uh, the building of Orioles magic, that light switch going on, and obviously the Orioles were a perennial contender pretty much every year for a couple of decades, but with the fans, the momentum of it all, the walk-offs, all of that, what was it like to kind of see, and you, you saw it before and after, uh, what was it like to see that kind of grow and be born, Orioles magic? Oh, man, it was something. You know, like you said, I came over in 76, and for the next – eight, nine years, you know, you were in the hunt every year, you know. And, uh, like I said, that that momentum and that part of this team just kept building. It started with Doug's home run, you know, but, you know, Doug had to take over for Brooks, so that was a big thing for him. But only on a club like that could you kind of handle it, you know. And so it, it was uh, 
it, it was it was something to, to be a part of, that's for sure. What was it like kind of going from, from Earl Lever, who you'd had for a while, to Joe Altabelli in that first season? Because Earl really played a major role in getting you to that point. And while he still was part of it in the way, like we talked about being part of that ABC broadcast, uh, what was it like transitioning from Earl to Joe in that season? Only Joe could have been, been able to do what was needed to be done because Joe had all of us in the minor leagues. I got traded over in 76, spent the second half with him there. But Eddie and Dower and Flanny and all the guys, you know, he'd been in the minor leagues with the Orioles for 100 years, it seemed like. And so he was – he was a perfect guy to follow Earl. Earl was, you know, out there, and here's Joe, just a quiet guy, and just pretty much had a team that we used to always say, tease him, you know, and the Lowenstein Renicky flip flop thing. If it was time for Lolo to hit for Gary or Gary turn around, he'd go, he'd turn and go, Gary, we go, hey, Joe, he's already up there. He's on deck. You know, he already went. He goes, you guys don't need me, you know? So it was like the team was so well, you know, it was handed to him, and he was the perfect guy. And us, not to mess with it, just – I mean, back then the games were at 7.30 and Wheel of Fortune was on at 7, and it was our daily routine at home. We'd, we'd all sit there and watch Wheel of Fortune in the dugout, in the clubhouse after BP and infield until 7.25, Jimmy Tyler would hit the switch. We'd go, oh, man, and we'd go out and play a game, and we'd sit there and look, and Joe would be sitting there like going, <laughs> and Flanny goes, look, nobody's at the helm with the Flying Dutchman. You know, so he was just, he was perfect for it. And he was, you know, he was, he was a great guy. Yeah, I want to broaden this out a little bit, Scotty, uh, because we obviously don't know what's going to happen uh, this season in baseball. And no, you were part of the most bizarre season in many ways, the 1981 campaign uh, where the work stopped. It uh, shut down for two, two months in the middle of the year. What was that like to have a season, then to stop for two months, and then to kind of get it geared up again in the second half? Oh, take us through then what it is like, both physically and mentally. Well, first and foremost, we were in first place all the way up to the day day before when we got on straight strike. So then the Yankees ended up getting that winning that, and then we couldn't couldn't outdo to outdo them in the second half. So we ended up losing our footing into the playoffs. And so then we were we were just at home. I remember Terry Crowley and Singy and a bunch of us would go over to uh, Delaney High School and I'd throw batting practice to them. And we're just kind of doing things like these guys are doing now, except they can't do it six feet apart, you know. It was a little bit different with the virus. But, yeah, we did the same kind of thing. We just kept in shape, ran through, worked out together, you know, away from the ballpark. And that was the year that uh, – I got to go in the, the, the All-Star game when we started the All-Star game up, is you know, which is something that they talked about. I guess you'd have to just pick an All-Star team. But uh, uh, it was it was definitely unique, you know. But, you know, we were young and go get them, you know. We, we kept throwing, and once it started up again, we kept going, you know. So it, it was definitely an adjustment, but we didn't see any difference. We just went ahead and played. In terms of some of the, the younger Orioles pitchers that, that are out there right now and from, from pitchers that you've worked with in the past that are that are younger and coming up, what pieces of advice do you give to them as they make their first steps or, or try and get a little bit farther along in their major league careers? And, and what, what are you telling them? Well, I tell them, first and foremost, you got to really the, – the two biggest things, because I was out for like 14 years before I got back into coaching. I was talking to Flanny. 
before I did that back then when he was GM. And he said, I go, what do I do? You know, I know what we did. He goes, just teach him what we did. I go, what'd we do? <laughs> you know, so, and I, and I thought to myself, what made me the pitcher that I was? And, I, and I'll never forget when I was pitching, guys would just say, Mac, you were gone. You were just off somewhere. I mean, I, I was so focused. It's, it was mental toughness and emotional control. I never let anything, because I had a high school coach that used to get say, I don't ever want to see you respond to anything, not to an umpire. I will, my high school coach was similar to Earl. He'd be chewing at the umpire. He goes, don't you ever say a word to them. And then uh, uh, George Bamberger, my, my first guy called up in 76. He said, if you're pitching and you get mad, don't you worry about Earl. I'm going to be out there and kick your butt. You know, he said, you can't be mad on the mound. So I learned to be emotionally controlled and mentally tough and just to, to never let anything, never give up, never give up. And I think that was one of the biggest things I would always, and, and you have to have a real weird sense of humor to play this game because it's so up and down, <laughs> you know, so you, I'd mess with guys, guys would give up a home run when I was coaching the minor leagues and I'd go out oh, and dang, that's the hardest thing I've ever seen. How'd you hold that? And you go, what are you doing? I go, you need to laugh, you need to relax, come on. Okay, let's focus, let's go here, you know, so. I think that, you know, that mental toughness and emotional control is the biggest thing for kids. I said, you got talent or you wouldn't be here. You know, somebody saw something. I said, and so if, if you get upset, because, you know, I came out of high school, what, 51 and four, you know, you know, you didn't get hit. You didn't get knocked around. I'm sitting down there in Sarasota with these young guys and watch them come in and get knocked all over the ballpark and go sit and put their head down and go over and, start messing with them. I go, hey, nice outing, man. Way to go. You know, and they, I, they go, what are you doing? I said, hey, I was 51-4. and four. My first pro ball game, I got knocked out in the fifth inning in Fort Lauderdale, July 1st. My uniform was soaking wet, dirt all over me. My arms started drawing up from dehydration. I go, hey, pal, you'll be all right. You know, just go get them in five days. You know, so I think just that 2,000 innings, years of it, you know, the, the learned uh, attitude of, you know, I'm, I can do it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to go out and try and invent a pitch if I had a bad outing, you know, just go get him again the next time. So there's a lot of just osmosis things that you can give guys. And I know, Scotty, you were high on John Means before last season. Uh, after seeing him pitch throughout the minor leagues, kind of hitting every level, uh, a lot of the same attributes you were just talking about. Yeah, no, Johnny's great, you know, and – and I, I did. I've always, for years, I, in spring training, I just, you know, we'd be out there in the bullpen, and they're always bringing over kids to my leagues. I go, when are we bringing John Means over? I want you guys to see him. We've got to see Johnny Means, you know. I go, he's he's a Madison Bub Gardner. He's a big, strong guy that throws a high fastball, and now he's got the change up. And, and, uh, and now he's just watching him, how he's responding now and what's happened in this year. He's, he's a real pro, and so I'm really happy for him and Caroline. They're, they're doing great. I was going to ask you, Scatter, real quick about the, the time where you threw the, the bullpen in, in Yankee spring training where Alston Howard was oh. catching you, and when Ralph Houck was watching you and Mickey Mantle comes over and Whitey Ford. Um, for someone who had incredible control in high school, what, what was that experience like pitching in front of all those guys? I ruined my control for a minute, you know. And <laughs> back then, you guys been to Fort Lauderdale. You ever go down there to Fort Lauderdale Stadium? I, I have been to Fort Lauderdale Stadium. There was a mound right in front of the dugout back then. It was flat, but I think that's where the starters would warm up. 
And uh, so I'm their number one pick. I'm 19 years old. And they said, we want to see you throw, you know. So I'm throwing to Elston and Ralph stand behind him. Mickey Mantle stand over here. And Whitey comes walking up. And I bounced a couple. <laughs> and Whitey goes, you all right? I go, am I all right? I'm 19. What am I doing here? You're standing here. I'm looking at Mickey Mantle. I'm throwing to Elston out. He started laughing. He goes, oh, you'll be all right. And I said, God. And then my first outing was in uh, West Palm. And I'm facing Hank Aaron. So, you know, I warm up. I'm going to pitch the three inning, uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth. You know, you throw your warm-ups, you get the ball back. Now batting Hank Aaron, I'm just going, well, I got a ball. If I got a pen, I get this guy's autograph, you know. <laughs> it's just, what am I doing? You know, it was such a shock, you know. But it was uh, – and I did well. You know, I did well then, and I had a great year, went to double A, and it was just – it was very important for me to get in there and realize that I could actually get some big league hitters out, even at 19, so that was helpful. Scotty, I want to roll down. We have I have five, fun five questions that I want to ask you. Right. You might have to go back in the memory bank a little bit, but uh, first thing that comes to mind, your first pro game you ever attended, whether that was when you were a professional or as a kid, whatever it was, your first pro game. Mickey Mantle in Anaheim. My uncle took my cousin and I, and uh, he got – Two at bats left-handed and didn't do anything and got one at bat right-handed. Hit went off the big A out there. Never forget that. Your most influential coach in baseball? Uh, probably my high school coach, John Stevenson. He was had me and George Brett and a bunch of people. Wow. What was your uh, senior year ERA, if you recall? Well, my career year, I was .036, so it was probably a little lower than that. <laughs> <laughs> Got you the 14th overall pick. Yeah. Favorite minor league town, whether it's a play, ballpark, town, whatever it was along the way? Syracuse. I had, three wow. summer, I had three summers there with the Yankees and Bobby Cox, and we had a blast. It was great. Favorite baseball movie, last one? Uh, for Love of the Game. Okay. I love his – he, he talked to somebody. His, his self-talk is exactly what's going on when you're pitching in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> does, it, does Costner look like someone who could actually pitch? I mean, I know he, he kind of prides himself in it. He looked as good as any actor I've seen. You know, uh, you know, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. Really cool. Really cool. Well, Scotty – uh, we always appreciate it. Again, we hope you and your family are, are doing well and are healthy uh, during this. But we appreciate it so much looking back on your great Orioles career and those great Orioles team and, of course, the uh, 83 World Championship. Thank you, guys. It's fun. That was a lot of fun talking with Scotty McGregor as we look back at so many magic moments in Orioles history. And, Jeff, that was a good start, I think. I thought that was a great start. I loved Scotty McGregor. Uh, recounting how because the team was so well built, everybody was watching Wheel of Fortune uh, right before the game until someone would eventually turn the television off and Joel Tabelli was was glued to watching Wheel of Fortune. And then it was like, all right, guys, let's go play some baseball. But those were probably two of the, the cooler stories that I heard throughout that, that conversation, as well as Scotty's conversation uh, about uh, pitching against Hank Aaron in that, in that game that he played. Uh, down in Florida, and then also uh, that bullpen session that he had 
uh, against with with all of those legends uh, uh, watching him as a kid just right out of high school. Uh, I can't believe the recall that Scotty McGregor had. I just can't believe uh, his memory and his ability to talk about specific moments, games, years, and obviously so many of his teammates. But you could just tell that was a very tightly knit group, uh, and there's a lot of pride from those Orioles ball clubs. And talking about today's game compared to yesteryear, you're, the, what, they were, what McGregor was talking about with George Bamberger or Weaver, but also Jim Palmer, and Palmer essentially not only being a coach-like figure, but almost the version of analytics uh, for those days. And his relationship with all of these pitchers, Storm Davis and, and Mike Flanagan, and Dennis Martinez and, and Mike Boddicker and obviously McGregor himself and how impactful that was for not only those Orioles years, but, you know, Palmer's the guy who is streamlined through the teams from the middle 60s, you know, right up and through the 83 ball club. So uh, obviously he's this, this common denominator for continuing the great uh, run of Orioles pitching uh, that they had through all those seasons. And the guy that brought everything together and, you know, how he would tell you what to do and then if you didn't do it during the game and like, like Scotty said he, like he, he made a pitch that Palmer said don't do this and then Scotty comes back to the dugout and Palmer's waiting right there for him you know to, to chew him out and kind of tell him like you weren't supposed to do it that way he served as the the the, the older brother the pitching coach the guy that could pass along so much information and you, you talk about someone with unbelievable recall I mean you hear him talk about and tell all these stories on Orioles broadcasts and, and going back to specific moments in time and recalling specific at bats and guys that he faced and how different things transpired. It's very easy, maybe just from afar, to see why he was such a great influence on that legendary Orioles pitching staff and how it was a group that had so much success for so long. And Jeff, uh, as far as this podcast goes, what do we have coming up? Uh, in the near future. Look for these podcasts uh, twice a week, but then we'll break these down into conversations with players about specific games. And then you and I will talk a little bit beforehand and a little bit afterwards. And it ought to make for a, a really great experience where we can relive some of the greatest moments in Orioles history uh, as we uh, wait for baseball to come in 2020. And we can't wait until then. But until our next time, uh, everyone be well, be safe, and be healthy. And thank you so much for being with us here as we relive all these Orioles magic moments. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.